You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. From Google Maps to Facebook, smartphones have revolutionised our lives. But until now, we've had no real idea of their long-term impact. Jean Twenge is a professor of psychology at San Diego University. She's been researching the differences between generations for 25 years. And her latest book analyzes the data from 8 million American teenagers from 1976 to 2016. It's called iGen, why today's super-connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. Jean joins us on the line from San Diego. Hi, Jean. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Now, even in the title of your book, there seems to be both positives and negatives in this. I mean, well, it depends on where you're looking at it. As a parent, less rebellious sounds kind of good. More tolerant sounds fantastic. But then less happy and completely unprepared for adulthood is is terrifying for me as a parent. Is that what you found um, through looking at this research, that this is a really complex picture. It's not all bad, but it's um, definitely not all good either. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's overall usually the picture when cultures change and cultural change creates generational differences. So you get trade-offs. So as just one example, iGen is physically safer, yet more mentally vulnerable than ever which is um, something that we, we're all concerned about because even when you've got small children, obviously the, you've looked at um, kids growing up into adulthood, but our kids today are probably facing something similar as the technology continues to evolve. Would, would you say that's the case? I think so. So most of what um, I looked at in these very large surveys here in the U.S. is based on teens, um, but I think these trends will continue to apply to um, younger kids as well. I have, I have three kids myself. They're 11, 8, and 5. And I've been thinking a lot since I have looked at this research um, on how spending too much time on screens is linked to less happiness and more depression among teens. And there's other research suggesting that the same is true among younger children. With all of the research that you've done and your background doing so much uh, research in the intergenerational differences, were you still surprised by what you found from this particular study? I, I was surprised um, by how sudden and large several of the generational changes were. So in, in these, these surveys tend to look at teens, and they're done every year. And right around 2012, uh, I started to notice some pretty big shifts in how teens spent their time. So they were spending much more time on electronic communication on their phones and much less time with their friends in person, so hanging out um, or going to the shops or driving around in a car, all the things teens do together. iGen teens were doing that less than teens just a few years before. And then the other big shift that I started to notice was there were more teens who were saying that they felt hopeless, that they felt like they couldn't do anything right. I mean, these are classic symptoms of depression. More said they were unhappy. More said they felt lonely and left out. 
And that really made me wonder what was going on, what changed so suddenly around 2012. If we talk about the uh, iPhone and these devices um, as they are, what they are, their screens, the kids are interacting with them, why is that particularly damaging for teenagers and young children? Yeah, so it turns out 2012 is the year when the majority, uh, when the percentage of Americans with a smartphone crossed 50%. So that's when smartphones really became ubiquitous. So that got me thinking, well, maybe this technology has something to do with those trends in, in mental health. So that got me looking at those links. And sure enough, there are links across all types of different studies between spending a lot of time on screens and more unhappiness and and more depression. So why that would be the case um, is probably due to a number of factors. So obviously there's a direct effect of spending time on social media um, and potential for cyberbullying and a lot of these ideas of, you know, on Facebook you see everybody else's highlight reel. But I think it really goes beyond that. Teens now spend depending on how you measure it, about six to eight hours a day of their leisure time on their phones. That's a lot of time. That's probably why they're spending less time with their friends face-to-face. Well, spending time with people in person, we know from decades of research, is linked to better mental health and more happiness. So if that time on the phone is crowding out the time that teens and children have for Activities that are more beneficial, such as being with friends and family face-to-face, that might be one of the reasons why mental health is suffering. And I'm curious as well about the kinds of things we put on our phones. Um, I was speaking with Manoush Zamarodi, um, who did the Bored But Brilliant book, and she was saying even the apps on our phones are designed to keep us there. So Facebook and all these places are, are designing things that make you want to go back to them. Are teenagers, I mean, I know I'm susceptible to that. I know I find myself being quite addictive with my use of my phone, but are younger people more susceptible to that type of allure from an app or from a a game, let's say? Well, I do think, I'll say first, that, you know, a lot of these um, findings are pretty applicable to adults too, uh, younger as well as older adults that these technologies are probably um, you know, addictive and um, especially if used more than, say, two hours a day, taking away from some of the more beneficial activities for people of, of all ages, really. But there are special concerns with children and teens um, for a couple of reasons. First, because at those ages, um, kids and, and teens are really focused on their friends and focused on fitting in with their mates. So that's one of the primary things that they're focused on. So they're even more susceptible to getting sucked into to social media. And the other thing is they have not yet developed um, the self-control or emotional maturity to know, to be able to stop um, as easily. And that's hard for a lot of adults when you think about how easy it is to get sucked into social media or get sucked into clicking link after link online. And then imagine being 13 or 10 uh, and being in that situation where, you know, kind of the classic example for kids in self-control is, you know, they'll, they'll eat ice cream until they make themselves sick because it's just, it's hard, it's hard to learn how to stop. 
and you develop that skill of self-control as you get older, and it is much more difficult um, for teens who are focused on friends uh, and haven't developed as much of that self-control to be able to stop. Did you find that the teenagers themselves were aware of their behaviour? Because here in Australia, we've had a few things, a few uh, digital detoxes and studies done where young children, really young children of five or six were actually saying, you know, I hate it when my parents are on the phone all the time. You know, they're not paying me any attention and they're aware of that. Did you find that teenagers themselves were aware when their friends were on phones or when their parents on, were on phones that they actually didn't like it, that it wasn't good for them on a social level? Yeah, that was one of the kind of pleasant surprises really in doing when I did the interviews for the book. So obviously the book is based on these large surveys um, of millions, but I also did some, a bunch of in-depth interviews and all of them said, yes, I'd rather see my friends in person. And they could say exactly why. They said it's much more emotionally close and you can give somebody a hug and you can see the expression on their face. Um, And many of the iGen teens I talked to said, I really don't like it when my friends are on their phones when I'm trying to talk to them. And yeah, I don't like it when my mom or dad is on the phone when I'm trying to talk to them. Pretty much nobody likes that. Um, (laughs) That's true. You know, is the eventual lesson. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it, is, it is true that we're, we're all sucked into this, but we all don't like it when somebody else does it, which is mm, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about my husband then. <laughs> He's also often on his phone when I'm trying to talk to him. <laughs> You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Jean Twingy. She's the author of the book, iGen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, less happy and completely unprepared for adulthood. And uh, we were just talking about the ways that we can all get sucked into our phones and how nobody likes it when we're on it. Um, I'm just wondering, with this last, particularly in the title of your book, Completely Unprepared for Adulthood, um, do you see that as being lacking the social skills? We talk about kids needing social skills to start school. Of course, we would assume by the time they leave school that they have the social school skills to get along in the world. Um, is this generation mis- missing out on those social skills because they're not hanging out as much in person? Well, we don't know yet. So there's not good data over time on, on social skills. It makes sense there would be some impact because social skills take practice like any skill. And iGen teams are getting less practice with face-to-face interaction. So that part of the subtitle mostly comes from the first chapter of the book from uh, a research study I did of um, teens and whether they do um, what I call adult activities. Um, so this is by um, spring of their senior year in high school, so they're 17 or 18 years old, iGen teens are less likely than previous generations were to have a driver's license, to work at a paid job, to go out without their parents, to date, to have sex, and to drink alcohol. So these are all things adults do that children don't, that are milestones of adolescence. And as you can tell, again, it's a trade-off. There are many very good trends in that list. Um, most parents would especially point to less sex and less alcohol among teens as, as being wonderful trends. Um, but it, the trade-off is that they're also um, you know, not driving, not going out, not working, which is that bad or good. It's kind of some of both. 
And it means that they're arriving at university or at their first jobs without as much experience with independence and with making their own decisions. So university administrators, for example, will say so many students can't make a decision without texting their mom. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Um, And just uh, with regards to happiness as well, I have heard a lot of people connecting in spaces like Facebook and finding their own group of people that they may not be able to find at high school, sort of reinforcing their identity in a way, if perhaps they're in a minority or they may like something like Dungeons and Dragons, I don't know, those sorts of um, niche areas that they can find online that they wouldn't have been able to find before. Um, that's a good thing, right, that they can find that connection and also the the political awareness that seems to have come about through things like Twitter. Did you find that positive aspect in the teenagers you looked at? I I do think that is one uh, very positive aspect of social media, uh, particularly kids who feel like they can't find other kids like them um, at school. So, you know, kind of the classic example is, you know, the one kid in the rural school and then gets to connect with other kids, um, like him, you know, around the country. Um, So the thing is, I think that can be done with a limited amount of time on social media. So two hours or so a day, you don't see the mental health effects, and that's more than enough to, you know, have some of that interaction with with people who you identify with. In terms of um, political awareness, uh, I looked at that, at least here in the U.S., the overall trend uh, in among teens in terms of their interest in government and in politics and social issues is pretty strongly downward. Um, these teens compared to teens, say, a decade or two ago, um, or especially back in the 70s or 80s, are less interested in um, politics, um, are less informed, according to other research as well. So, because that's not really what they're doing on their phones. Um, They're communicating with their friends, and they're watching streaming video, and it's almost all um, entertainment and Mm. communication with friends. Very, very little of it is staying informed. So what advice would you give parents who are trying to moderate that screen time so that it is within that two-hour bracket you mentioned? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the, the first thing is many of those mental health effects of screens are stronger for younger teens. So, for example, they show up more among 13-year-olds than 18-year-olds. So I think the lesson there is to hold off on uh, getting your kid, his or her first smartphone, for as long as possible. Um, Here in the U.S., the average age for getting your first smartphone is now 10. Wow. Which strikes me as very young. Um, my oldest child is 11. Uh, most of the kids in her class uh, already have their own smartphone. So we're going to have to cross that bridge eventually um, in our own family, mm. and we're just going to try to put it off as long as we can. And then once um, she does get that smartphone, uh, I'm probably going to put an app on it that limits the amount of time she uses certain apps and then also um, limits perhaps the total amount of time, and then especially, I think this is really crucial, shuts the phone down at night. There's this new thing that called vamping that kids and teens will um, be on their phones when their parents think they're sleeping at night. Oh, no. <laughs> and that is extremely detrimental for both mental and physical health. 
Mm, and calling it something like vamping, they probably think it's the coolest thing ever. It sounds like it, right? Like, mm. oh, you're cool, you're a vampire, when unfortunately it just means you're walking around in a waking stupor the next day. What about adults? Because we are our children's greatest role models, aren't we? Um, there are things that we can be doing to try and influence their behavior as they get older. Yeah, so it's all about modeling, right? Um, so I, I think as parents, we have to think about our own technology use. And many of us are in a more difficult boat because we're using those phones and tablets and computers for work and not just for entertainment. Um, yet, still, um, I think it behooves us to think about our relationship with technology and what we're modeling for our kids. So limiting the amount of time you spend on social media, I think that's a good idea for people of all ages to keep it to an hour or two a day at most. Um, to, with the phone, um, put it away during dinner. Put it downstairs at night. Um, have times, maybe start small, but then get bigger, have times during the day when that phone is not in your hand. You know, preferably, you know, have it when you're going out, but when you're in the house, put it away. There is so much to think about there, Jean. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That's Jean Twenge. She is the professor of psychology at San Diego University, and her book is called iGen, Why Today's Super-Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.